A big offering for family business viewers this morning is the launch of research findings and recommendations from a recent study completed in the centre. Uh, today the centre is launching a family business practitioner insights report for you on the topic of female leadership in family business. Now the research was uh, conducted by Martina Brophy. Uh, she spent 24 months uh, working on this in-depth study into women leaders' experience of working in their family business. Martina is a postgraduate researcher at the National Centre for Family Business. The resulting insights report provides key tips and recommendations for Irish family businesses to foster an organisational culture that supports and empowers women family members. Now, Martina joins us uh, alongside her family business colleagues uh, Maura McAdam, uh, Professor uh, at DCU Business School, Mairead Harbron, Next Gen Leader from PwC Ireland, who supported Martina's research. And uh, that research, as we said, uh, ran for two years. Also joining us for this discussion is Sinead Scrivener, who will provide us with her thoughts and findings on this project and the significance it will have for current and future female leaders in family business in Ireland. So, Martina, you bit off, uh, you, you know, a big chunk here, uh, and as I said, 24 months later, what are, if we could tease our audience maybe, what are the main findings uh, from the research? Well, one of the key findings, Gavin, was that women are encouraged to join the family business and oftentimes their return to the family business after a period of education or work experience is initiated by the incumbent generation, but that they can still experience certain barriers to, to leadership along the way. So starting in uh, the early years of, of joining the family business and working there maybe over the summers and weekends, where uh, daughters may not get the same exposure to certain parts of the business as um, sons or brothers. Um, so uh, maybe not experiencing the operational side of the business. And this is where they can miss out on really important tacit knowledge and exposure to the business and also become known among key figures in the business. And this can affect them then later on if they were to take on uh, a prominent leadership role. Uh, other issues that, that women mentioned were uh, trying to navigate, I suppose, a more male-dominated industry or environment. So fears of being not being respected or being undermined. And then just certain uh, kind of subtle forms of, of bias, maybe exclusionary differential treatment they felt um, in comparison to, to the male next generation. So maybe not as privy to certain information um, and that kind of thing. But generally it was found to be much more subtle forms as opposed to kind of overt or explicit uh, attempts to exclude or overlook daughters. Professor Maura McAdam, uh, what stood out for you in uh, Martina's research? I suppose two main things stood out for me. Um, the first one, um, the research really highlighted all the different roles that women juggle 
um, not just in management, but management and family business. And, um, you know, from an academic perspective, we've referred to that as identity work. So that's the strategies that women engage in in order to be able to navigate, make sense, in order just to deal with all of these roles. And, you know, they can be um, the mother, daughter, sister, leader, and also manager. And that all happens within the daily operations of the family firm. So I think to have confirmation, to have that really illustrated is really important um, in this research. Um, the second thing, and I suppose this was um, very prominent for me um, from a personal perspective, you know, from an only girl and having three brothers, um, Martina's research really highlighted the interaction and the dynamic between um, women and their brothers and, you know, within the family business and the different um, strategies that they engaged with. So. The brothers um, could have mentored them, um, could have helped them um, in terms of, you know, different strategies. And also then there was instances where they actually engaged in concealed leadership, where the women may have taken a slightly back seat, but also then they exerted power within the sibling um, partnership as well. And uh, if I was to return to you, Mairead Habron of PwC, and again, thank you for all of your support over the years uh, to the centre, but particularly for this important research. But um, we now know what the gaps are, thanks to Martina's research, but uh, there are programmes that can help female leaders who have the potential to go on and lead the business, uh, they, they can address those gaps. Absolutely, Gavin. I think Martina's research really highlighted the specific issues that women are facing in family business. And I guess, you know, there's a number of, of kind of strategies that they can employ to kind of bridge that gap. If somebody has leadership ambitions, that they should really say them out loud because oftentimes we're dealing with clients who they've just overlooked some kind of female next gen just on the basis that they've never, they've never vocalised their interest in taking over the business. So that's, that's one point. The next, as we talked about earlier, is around, you know, seeking that support, seeking that support both inside the business and also from people outside the business. And the third thing I'd say is when opportunities arise, really kind of lean into them and grasp those opportunities. There's also more formal programmes, um, you know, formal education-wise, PwC run a Next Gen Academy, which is an international programme where Next Gens from Irish family businesses, but also from family businesses all over Europe, come together and, um, you know, network with each other and learn about um, the challenges and kind of opportunities that arise in family business. But a formal programme isn't always necessary. Um, a lot I'd, I'd see from experience, a lot of the learning happens on the job. And that's really, um, I suppose, to Martina's research, it's really, you know, making sure that there is equality of opportunity so that the incumbent leaders are kind of recognising that if they want their, their kind of women in business to succeed in leadership positions, they'll need to bring them along that journey and give them that kind of on the job experience. Okay, I can see that uh, this topic is uh, generating uh, interest uh, from our audience, so there'll be uh, some questions, no doubt, uh, coming your way in a moment. But uh, Sinead Scrivener, uh, what's been your experience versus what you've seen in Martina's research? Did, did anything mirror uh, an experience that you've had or not? Yeah, certainly. Um, I think all of Martina's research resonated to some degree um, for myself. Um, 
Certainly the piece around female family members finding, you know, struggling to find um, a, a place for themselves in the business. I certainly felt that um, growing up, it wasn't something that I ever thought um, I would do. It's not a, a place where I found myself in. Um, it, was, it also wasn't encouraged um, within my family, even though the business was very much part of our lives um, and we knew everything that was going on in the business. It was always a topic of conversation around the dinner table. Um, it still wasn't something that we ever discussed. Um, and that goes, I'm the eldest of, of four um, the only girl, I have three younger brothers um, and I think that was felt by them also. I don't think they felt, um, you know, there wasn't ever a discussion about them taking over the family business any, at any point. So, yeah, a lot of it did resonate, but that, that really stood out for me, I think. And uh, Martina, back to uh, the research. Uh, I, I mean, one of the problems we have with family businesses is they, they don't discuss uh, succession uh, very overtly, certainly, anyway. So it must be even more difficult for uh, a female leader if they, if they want to state their case because uh, the opportunities are just simply not there. Well, yes, that is an issue, uh, Gavin, and, and, and to be fair, uh, we must also take into account, I suppose, younger siblings, uh, younger sons as well, because of this, um, I suppose, persistence in Irish culture of the, the primogeniture rule, which is the, the firstborn son kind of taking over the mantle, um, and that is still tends to be the norm today. Um, and so that can be, uh, it can automatically result in, in daughters and uh, younger sons kind of um, uh, just creating a sense of disinterest or ambivalence about the family business because they don't necessarily see their features in the business. So it's really important, um, especially because self-efficacy will drive self-selection for the successor um, role, that, that you build up um, next generations, I suppose, believe in themselves that they have the abilities to run the firm someday and that will have benefits then down the road because you will have a wider pool of successors to choose from and um, you're not relying on one preferred candidate let's say. <laughs> well as I said getting questions from our audience Professor Moore McAdam I'm going to put this one to you uh, a, a questioner saying uh, in my experience, the main hurdle with female leadership here in Ireland is that women prioritise family care during key uh, career development uh, years and uh, they can avail of state maternity supports, etc. Uh, but, um, you know, are we doing enough to encourage uh, our female business leaders to emerge? We probably aren't, and um, and I suppose there's a lot of things at play. There's obviously the external environment. There's the um, the structural disadvantages, and you talked a little bit there about um, maternity leave and maternity pay. But there's also then the individual, you know, in terms of and as Martina referred to there about self-efficacy, and self-efficacy basically means that I can do this, and we have a real role in terms of actually building that. Um, amongst um, our young girls, young women as well. And we can do that through education, we can do it through mentoring, we can do it through role modelling. 
So it's also very important to have representation. And it's very simple, you know, a lot of people talk about if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I think that's one of the issues that women have within family business is invisibility. And over the years, women have played a very significant role in family businesses, but they've been invisible. You know, a lot of people laugh and say, oh, my mother is the CEO and is the chief emotional officer. But, you know, that women have played significant roles, but they've been supporting, supporting roles and hidden roles. So one of the things that Martina's research really does, it highlights it and it also confirms that women are taking more visible roles in family businesses, but it's up to us now to, be, to actually prepare that, but also to support them. And whether that's with mentoring and, and programs, but also looking at structural and um, the disadvantages they may face as well. Marie Harbron, if we're seeing from this research that, like in the world in general, family business is an exception, but it reflects the world in general as well, uh, there may be a glass ceiling. In the next-gen programme that PwC does, which is an international programme, uh, how do we fare in Ireland vis-a-vis -vis, uh, our European and global partners? So I suppose in Ireland, um, we're relatively new to significant wealth. Um, I suppose our European counterparts have family businesses that are now at sixth, seventh, eighth generation. So they would have a lot more formality around their structures in terms of family constitutions and you know, family councils around how the, how the family should be managed and who gets opportunities. Ireland is behind the curve in the sense that we're new to that kind of significant family wealth that can, that has the ability to be passed down through a number of generations, but we're getting there. And I suppose with this, uh, the National Centre of Family Businesses helping educate families that are in that position, and there is like a, a greater focus on succession conversations um, in Irish family businesses now so that there can be that kind of passing down through the next generation. Okay, and uh, Sinead, if I could put this to you before I come back to Martina Brophy to give us what uh, she believes are the main takeaways from, from her, her, her research. Uh, I, I gather from what you said earlier, uh, there, there just were, wasn't the conversations. So I'm just curious, how did it happen that you told, or you, you know, did, did, did you work your way into the business or did they eventually say, hey, let's, let's bring Sinead in? Yeah, no, I think when I left um, university, I worked for a different company for a number of years. Um, and then I went traveling, decided, um, had itchy feet and went on a, on a world tour. And it was while I was in Australia, my father called me and said that he had just come out of a sales meeting and they were thinking about expanding the sales team. And would I be interested in coming back and joining the business? Um, so. I don't know, still to this day, it may have been a ploy to try and get me back into the country, um, but it certainly worked anyway. And I joined the business um, and spent a couple of years on the road um, selling within our parts division. Um, and, and that's how it all started. Yeah, okay, so. we very much look forward to hearing later on the success that you've uh, made of that, Sinead. And so Martina Brophy, as the author of this report, what actions do you think family businesses therefore need to take to get the best benefit of the insights that uh, you've uncovered? Yeah, that's a good point, Gavin. Um, I suppose it's about uh, fostering equal opportunities for male and female next generation in family business. And often uh, document, documenting a plan for next generation development and integration is a good place to start. 
So ensuring you have criteria for next generation, um, next generation's involvement in the family business. Do they have to have a period of work experience or education? Um, do you have a probationary period for them? Who do they report into? Is it family or non-family? What about performance reviews? And what that means then is that the decision making behind next generation uh, development and career progression is driven uh, by merit and not um, cultural norms or biases relating to gender and birth order. So that's a key takeaway I would see. And then as well as that, ensuring that uh, female next generation build their support network. So like Maraid has said, um, to, to find mentors and coaches either within the business or outside the business in, in possibly similar positions where you can receive you know, support, validation and advice uh, in relation to, to these issues. Now, I, I know for those of you uh, viewing the conference, uh, you know, you're, you're of the view, gosh, you know, we're, we're, we're coping with a looming Brexit, as I was saying earlier on, we're, we're, we're dealing with a global pandemic. But these are all important issues for a family business and in a family where you're, you're looking to that talent bank as regards future leadership, you have to consider the 100% of the asset that's available to you rather than just uh, a certain gender and so on. So th this is an issue we wanted to give uh, time to hear at this uh, 2020 National Conference and we're very much indebted to, to all of you uh, for joining in. So uh, a big thank you to Professor Maura McAdam, thank you. Uh, to Sinead Scrivener, thank you, uh, to Mairead Habron from PwC and to uh, the person who um, has done all the work and produced uh, a, a very worthy and uh, wonderful piece of research that uh, needs to be studied and acted upon uh, to you. Uh, we want to say Martina Brophy, thank you and well done. Thank you so much, Gavin. And can I just uh, please extend my warm thanks to my funding partners, PwC, the Irish Research Council, and very importantly, the participants of this research for their candour and their willingness to give their time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. We're joined by Professor Maura McAdam, who uh, is well known for the work of, uh, and research in the area of uh, women entrepreneurship, uh, but in particular, uh, the uh, father daughter uh, succession challenge, I'll, I'll, I'll call it Maura. Um, what attracted you to uh, studying that in more depth? Oh, a lot of things. Um, you know, people refer to me as the curiosity-driven professor. Um, my friends just say I ask awkward questions. And um, so I'm interested in, you know, research areas that are not you know, the, the traditional, not the normal, but things that we can learn from. And, um, and actually the emphasis for this research came from uh, a conference, one of these conferences, I think it was five years ago, it was my first um, Centre of Family Business conference. And, um, and it was on succession and it was on um, preparation for succession. So I was just having, we were just at the coffee break and, um, and I was chatting to um, an owner, a manager, a father of a family business. And I just happened to say to him, oh, um, that give you plenty of food for thought. And he said, yes, it really has. He said, you know, I have four children. And he said, you know, I have, um, I have a son, an eldest son, and I just 
assumed that he would take over the business. He said, but you know, I have a younger daughter and she's the entrepreneur. And, um, and I think that just started it for me in terms of, you know, the father, you know, somebody that goes against the cultural norms, somebody that rather than, you know, saying, oh, that's the eldest, that's the, the child of the right gender, I'm going to pick the entrepreneurial child. So that's really where it started in terms of, you know, um, and a lot of research, you know, we just look at what we refer to as a single respondent. So it would have been so easy for me just to um, interview the, the daughter. But again, it was this father's decision, the father who I thought was visionary, brave, courageous to go against cultural norms and pick the entrepreneurial child. So we actually interviewed both. And um, we interviewed them together and we interviewed them, them separately. And, um, you know, and just such an interesting piece of research in terms of the interaction, the identity work, the preparation, and just that dynamic relationship between the two of them. And would you say from your research and your broader experience in the world of entrepreneurship, is that an exception or is it more a norm? It's becoming more a norm. And one of the things the research has done, it's um, it shed light on it. And a lot of us knew that this is taking place. But sometimes the research is a bit slower than um, to, to catch up on the practice. And one of the things that, you know, my research and particularly the research here within the centre, it's what we refer to as research with impact. So we want to conduct research that has relevance for family firms but also what this particular project actually highlights, that the family firms are actually driving our research questions as well. So there's a lovely virtuous circle of you know, research informing practice and practice informing research. And uh, the next gen leader, if you even park gender for a moment, uh, do you think businesses are beginning to think um, of that next generation, who is the most entrepreneurial? Because uh, these days, uh, a business leader is expected to be a leader, so they have to be really entrepreneurial, don't they? Oh, absolutely. And But then, you know, even just the way that I teach and we teach entrepreneurship here at DCU is that um, it's enterprise skills for life. So regardless of what um, career you're going to pursue, all of those skills, marketing, networking, creativity are essential for any career. So absolutely. And, um, you know, within the family business, particularly, you know, the mentoring and the role modeling, they get so much um, opportunity to actually develop those skills from a very early age. Is the stereotype, though, of the family, not so much the family business, but in a family where, uh, you know, the, the daughters are almost seen uh, in a support role, is that a real barrier to true progress, uh, particularly when it's a family business? There is no doubt that over the years that women have played an, a very important, significant role in family business, but it is very much marked by invisibility. Um, so, you know, within the centre of family business, within the research that we're doing, we're actually putting the spotlight on women that are actually, you know, um, you know are coming from the shadows and taking a very visible leadership role. Now, that is very important in terms of representation. Um, and it's also, you know, to actually, you know, to be a role model for other women as well. So, you know, it is all about, you know, challenging those stereotypes. It's 
about navigating, um, you know, those obstacles. But also, you know, um, you know, there's evidence to actually show that family businesses that have gone against the norm, that have picked the entrepreneurial child, that they actually have been rewarded with post-succession performance. So there is actually rewards there to actually, you know, not do things the way we've always done them. And that's for me what entrepreneurship about is about. Entrepreneurship is about disruption. So, you know, as family businesses, we have to be comfortable to be able to disrupt the, you know, the cultural norms and the stereotypes. Yeah, and I've heard you speaking about uh, diversity and vision, not diversi diversity and inclusion, but that, that you, you know, we have to actually have people and see them and see them for their worth. Absolutely, you know, because we have a tendency, particularly within family business, you know, and it, family business can get a bad rap in terms of nepotism, you know, but in terms of selecting um, the next leader, you know, it very much should be about that person with entrepreneurial flair. But there, can, there is a tendency to pick on merit. There is a tendency also to pick um, on gender. But the other thing, you know, we talk about diversity and inclusion. I talk about in family business, diversity and um, visibility, but also within a family business, inclusivity includes non-family members as well. So that's another thing that family members, you know, family businesses have to be, um, you know, have to acknowledge is that there's going to be female and male potential leaders within the non-family business cohort as well. And it's including them. It's very important. So to see, you know, succession, to see that um, in conjunction with talent management as well. Now, Professor Maura McAdam, through uh, DCU, you also, uh, you, you know, do work internationally. And uh, therefore, the father-daughter study was very much in an Irish context. But uh, where does it fit in, in a a global context, are, are the same issues apparent in other yeah. uh, geographies? So, you know, as you said, that my main area is women, women's entrepreneurship. But one of the things that I'm very passionate about is um, contextualizing women's entrepreneurship, you know, because obviously how a, per a woman experiences entrepreneurship in the Irish context doesn't necessarily translate or have relevance in other contexts. And we can learn from other contexts as well. And again, here within the National um, the Centre of Family Business, you know, we do, we do research, which is international. Um, so I have another piece of research which has just come out, and it has actually looked at daughters in the Chinese family businesses. It looked at 20 daughters. And, um, and again, there's a lot of similarities in terms of the challenges. You know, and despite being highly educated, um, progressing to high levels within, um, or senior levels within their family businesses, they also had to, um, you know, engage in concealed leadership, hidden leadership, also what we refer to as temporary leadership, in order to support their male siblings. And again, all of that, obviously that wasn't the same throughout the 20 um, daughters, but it all was dependent on their degree of conformity to um, the cultural values and also their family values as well. Professor McAdam, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, next on the agenda here at the DCU National Centre for Family Business Annual Conference, uh, we've asked Sinead Scrivener to uh, stay back with us uh, to tell us 
uh, the amazing story that is uh, the, the, the company that your family has, has built up. So uh, tell us about uh, how it was founded uh, and, and what it does. Yeah, so the company was founded by my granddad in 1962. Um, my granddad, Dennis, was born in Prague in the Czech Republic. Um, he um, married my Irish grandmother. Um, and shortly after the war with their firstborn um, child, Maria, they decided to move back to Ireland and settle. Um, firstly in Tipperary, and then they moved around the country depending on what kind of job my granddad was doing. Um, and eventually then in 62, he set up Farmhand. So he set it up as a 50-50 partnership um, with uh, the current uh, managing director of Crone, um, his grandfather. So that's how the, the business started. He then passed it on to my father, John, um, in the 1970s. And my father then in the 1990s bought out the, the, the business and it became 100% Scrivener owned family company. All right. Uh, so what does Farmhand do? Yeah, so we're importers and distributors of farm machinery for five main brands. Um, and we sell through um, a, a dealer network around the island of Ireland. Um, it's through 30 main dealers. We also own and operate um, a separate um, parts division called Fast Parts where we market a wide range of different parts for tractors and machinery. And we distribute that through a dealer network of about 400. Now, um, you know, big farm machinery, uh, uh, fixing it and all of that very much, you know, stereotypically and incorrectly will be seen as a man's world. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, we heard that you got a phone call to get involved in the business <laughs> earlier on. But what was your initial role and what has been your uh, experience within the company? Yeah, so my initial role was um, an area sales manager for the parts division um, on the road. So I was going around calling to different dealers around the country. Um, I then actually took a break and moved to London for a number of years and worked in different companies and came back then to head up the parts division where I still sit today. And uh, what's the sort of numbers employed and uh, just give us a feel for the size of the business? Yeah, so we have a staff of 48 at the moment. Our current turnover is about 38 million. Um, and yeah, so we're, we'd be, I suppose we'd be classed as a medium-sized sized enterprise. Now, uh, staying a medium-sized enterprise uh, with all the challenges of COVID and Brexit, that's been foremost on most people's minds. Oh. So what have been the last eight, nine months been like for, 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 for you and the business? Yeah, it's been incredibly busy. We're very, very fortunate to be in the industry of agriculture at the moment. So from the moment of, of lockdown, we really had seen a huge um, increase in business as we would in any other year. So our busiest time really is from April until September. Um, so we were incredibly busy. Um, we split our, our staff into two teams, so we didn't have much crossover. But being an essential business, we had to keep going. Um, so we worked seven days a week. Um, people worked very long shifts. Um, and we, were, we found that we were busier than ever. So we were incredibly lucky. Farmers, by their very nature, are isolated in their jobs. So everybody really just kept going. Which is great. Now, the great thing about the agri sector, as you said, uh, because you know food's essential. Mm -hmm. uh, COVID, you, you just had to keep going, yeah. and uh, cash flow kept happening. Yeah. Uh, but then Brexit uh, could happen in a bad way for us, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's going to affect the agri sector. Or yeah. how do you feel your company, Farmhand, 
and uh, the Irish agri-sector is prepared. Yeah, it, it's very much going to affect us. Um, about a third of our sales come from Northern Ireland alone. Um, so it definitely is a concern for us. Um, we have been preparing, I suppose, over many years, um, like most businesses, I'm sure. Um, we still don't really know what's upon us or how it's going to affect us. Um, but I think that we've established ourselves so long now in the market that you know we're, we're prepared to take anything that comes to us, really. Now, for the family business audience watching us uh, online, Sinead, what do you think are the big family business issues that uh, you're trying to deal with uh, in farmhand? I can see you rolling your eyes to heaven, <laughs> uh, because I think sometimes there are issues always in every family business, but it's, it's facing up to them and addressing them, isn't it? Yeah. I don't think that the, the challenges are any more because we're a family business than than if we weren't a family business. Um, you know, I think those, those challenges are going to be the same for, for all businesses with Brexit coming down the line. And then uh, the, the, the company, are there, you know, sometimes in a family business then as, as people retire out of the business and so on, uh, you, you know, are they, are they bought out or do they stay on as shareholders? What's the structure? Yeah, so at the moment, my father is, has retired. He retired five, nearly five years ago now. Um, he remains our cha chairman on the board um, and he still comes in daily, um, but he doesn't take an active role day to day within the business. He's very much there for support, which we are very grateful for. Um, but yeah, so that, that will be the only person at the moment who will be out of the business. Okay, so uh, you've had a hectic year, but uh, you're... You, you seem to be in, in, in good order and uh, ready for the future. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we're, we've experienced a huge amount of growth in the last five years within our business. Um, so we've always expected a bit of a slowdown within the business um, because we can't keep growing the way, you know, at the extent that we were growing. Um, so we have been prepared for this for a number of years. So we, we, we like to call it, we're cautiously optimistic for the future. Sinead Scrivener, thank you very much for uh, joining us here uh, you, at Kevin. the conference. Thank you. Thank you.